you guys doing? Okay. Awesome, awesome. Welcome away. This is your very first time. Would you uh, be brave enough? Very first time of darkening the door of uh, this building that used to be a Hobby Lobby, praise God. Can you raise your hand really high? Awesome. Can we welcome them? Glad you're here, man. Glad you're here. So we are in a series uh, called Pillow Talk, and it's about relationships. It is about relationships. More importantly, though, it's about relationships that look different than the rest of the world. We have a hope and a desire that this generation would be a generation that would break uh, marriage statistics when it comes to divorce. And even more than that, that you would be a generation uh, that would like uh, Ecclesiastes. The writer of Ecclesiastes says that you would enjoy your spouse, you would enjoy your wife, you would enjoy your husband all the days of your life. That's what we're wanting for you. That's what we're hoping for you. And so this is a relationship series. If you are too cool for relationship series, I get it. I remember being um, a college student at a Christian university and being like, man, I wish they would talk about something more spiritual, you know? And so I get it. I feel you. We're going to get through it real quick though, okay? And so uh, summer is coming to a close. Are you guys happy, sad about it? Okay. I heard a couple of boos. You're my people. Because um, I love summer, I love summer, but with summer coming to a close, it is also the close of wedding season. How do you guys feel about that? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, some of you love wedding season, right? And most of you who love wedding season, uh, you, you, it's because you have a date, right? And so you're like, it's cool, like, and you get in your dress, and like, he gets in his tux, and you take a million Instas and a million snaps, right? Because you're not wearing pajamas or have Cheetos on your face, and so... You're like, this only happens once, so let's go, babe, you know? And you're holding your boyfriend or your girlfriend's hand while they, like, do their vows, and you're like, this is going to be us someday. <laughs> but it is, though, right? And you're like, First Corinthians was my verse. That was the verse I was going to use in my wedding. <laughs> right? And then, and then it comes to the slow dance, and you're like, yes, because you have somebody to dance with, and you're dancing, you know, and it's like, James Arthur, and you're like, praise God, this will be my wedding. And so you love, like you love weddings, right? And then there's a whole other group of you, and you feel differently about weddings, and I understand, I feel your pain, because weddings kind of remind you of your embittered, like, relational distress that you are in right now. You go stag to a wedding, right? You know, and it's been months leading up to this thing, and your Facebook blew up with, like, pictures of her ring, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that thing is, like, bigger than my car, you know? <laughs> And you're like, that's great, like, good for you, you know, and God has to work in your heart because you got a root of bitterness in there. And, <laughs> and you show up at the wedding, and you do the whole thing where, like, you know, you're sitting there, but you, like, don't buy the vows. You're like, no, crock, pure, pure horse manure right now, <laughs> right? And the slow song comes on, and you're like, come on, Lord, like, we prayed about this. Like, no slow songs. Can we just have, like, the electric slide or, like, Whipping nay-nay or like, you know, teach me how to Dougie. Honestly, though, guys, if you're at a wedding with Doug Weckerman in the next couple of months, ask him, ask him, please, to teach you how to Dougie because he loves that. <laughs> he loves it. So make sure you do that. 
But whether you love, whether you love wedding seasons or whether you hate wedding seasons, however you feel about them, every summer, every year, hundreds of thousands of people every weekend will uh, spend tens of thousands of dollars and they will get their hair done and they will get, you know, makeup done and they'll get all of the flowers just right and the colors will all match and they'll send out invitations that look like they come from the queen herself, right? And, and we will get together and they will hold hands with another human being and they will make incredible, poetic, beautiful vows that they cannot keep. That they cannot keep. We know this is true because just because you say something, just because you say something doesn't mean that you can actually do it. Proverbs says this, it says, though many promise, though many promise unfailing love, though many claim to have unfailing love, a faithful person who can find. Solomon is writing and he's saying what we know to be true and he's saying, you know, lots of people talk a big game when it comes to love. Like, babe, it's going to be you and me forever. Forever, you and me, we get tattoos. <laughs> but to actually follow through with that is something entirely different. To actually follow through with unfailing love, now that's completely different. And we know this is true because statistics are telling us this is true. That out of every two people that, every two couples that stand up in front of hundreds of friends and family members, that one of those will promise things that they cannot match up to. And so what we want to talk about tonight and what this vision is for this series is that this room, people watching online, that you would be the types of people, the types of women, the types of men that are promise keepers. And so tonight, uh, what I titled the message is simply this, and it's called Practice Your Promise. Practice Your Promise. And so before we get into tonight, let's ask the Holy Spirit to be here, bow our heads, and pray. And God, we thank you for every single human being in here. God, I thank you for this place. I thank you for um, every single young adult in the city of Denver. And God, I pray that more and more would uh, darken the door of this church, God, that they would get saved, that they would get sent out. And God, I pray for the marriages in here, that God, we would have marriages that are just beautiful, that look like you. For every single, single person in this room, God, I pray over their loneliness in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would meet them tonight in their hurting hearts, and that you would say, God, that you would speak over them. If you prepare yourself, I've got somebody prepared for you. And so, God, I just pray that we would practice the things that we are going to promise someday. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. It's much easier to say things, is it not, than to actually do them, right? It's much easier. I know this is true because I'm a preacher. And so a few months back, I was preaching a sermon, and I was like, and I was like really getting after it. And I was like, okay, room, okay, everybody, we are going to be the types of people, and we are going to rise up church and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, you know? And we're going to have peace and patience, long-suffering, right? And I'm like getting after it. And the very next day, I go out with our staff, and we go out to noodles because, you know, staff budget. And so... And we're standing in line, and we're all kind of like this, and there's probably like five of us, right? And we're all standing in line, and I, we're all just looking at the menu. And there's a couple behind us, and uh, we realize they're behind us, and one of the people in our group goes, oh, you can go ahead of us because we don't know. And the girl goes like this, I kid you not. She goes, yeah, I was wondering when you're going to order. And <laughs> she goes in front of us with her, like, boyfriend or whatever, and I do one of these. I go, you're welcome. <laughs> I was so mad. And 
And Whitney, Whitney, who works with me, kind of looks at me and she pulls my sleeve and she's like, you just preached on fruits of the Holy Spirit last night. <laughs> so before you go hitting anybody, just think about that. It is much easier to say things than it is to actually follow through. And so John and I got married, and the day we got married was one of the best days of our lives. I mean, it was just so beautiful. It was all our friends, our family. We danced. We had so much fun. And we got up in front of all of our family members, and we said vows. And he promised to love me for better or for worse in richer and in poorer. He promised me that he would be patient with me. And that very first year, I put that test to the promise. Or I put that promise to the test. <laughs> Babe's like, he's in here like, it's fine, I know her. Um, <laughs> and I wrecked my car the night before our wedding, I totaled it. And the new car that I got, I managed to uh, get in wrecks, like three wrecks in six months of us being mar uh, married. And I would call him and I would be like, um, oh my gosh, babe, I just got in a car accident. And he'd be like, baby, I'm going to be right there. That was the first car accident, right? And then a couple months go by, and I'm like, baby, I pulled out in front of somebody. <laughs> and he's like, okay, baby, I'll be right there. And like the third time, I like call him, and then it's a weird hour to be calling him, and he goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, remember you told me you promised to be patient with me? You know, like, like, he gave me money one time. It was for groceries. I bought a leather jacket, and he was like, what's your issue? It's easier to be patient with me when I'm pretty, right? So, then, <laughs> and then, and then this was like the kicker, okay? He had this beautiful Xterra. We would take it off-roading. And I pull in. We had gone out to dinner, but we had driven separately from work. And so I pull into our garage, and then I, I don't know why, but I automatically started to hit the button, like, right as soon as I got in, right? And so that garage door comes down, and it comes down on his Xterra's, and it rips off his ski racks. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I get out of the car, and I'm like, oh, 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 and I'm like, babe, babe. And then I looked at him, and I could just see, right? And I was like, Remember, you promised to be patient. <laughs> and he did one of these. He goes, like, give me a minute, or I, like, I don't know what's going to, just give me a minute, right? It's easy. It's easy to promise something. It really is. It is so much more difficult to actually follow through. And so for us, with the reality of marriages today, what we think is, is we actually believe, couples all across America, Christian and non-Christian alike, they actually think that if you promise something, that if you promise something, by you saying, I do, you are actually saying, I can. And that's not true. By you saying, I do, and I promise, you are actually believing in your heart, or couples are believing in their hearts that, that, that you can actually perform those things. And what we need to understand about promises is a couple things tonight. And the first thing is this, is that um, intentionality does not equal ability. Intentionality does not equal ability for you, for me, for anybody. And we know this is true. We know this is true because if uh, you were to come to me and you were to say, Jess, I'm going to run a 5K in 19 minutes, I'd be like, okay. You know, but just because you said it doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it. Doesn't mean that. You could sign up. You could even, like, on a contract, be like, I'm going to do this, name written. Doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it. You could say, I'm going to do a triathlon, like, next, next month, October, gonna, October 28th, doing it, getting the T-shirt, you know? 
That doesn't mean that you're actually, if you're like me, you'd probably die doing something like that. Like, it doesn't mean you'd actually be able to do it. You didn't say, oh, I'll take the SATs, I'm going to get a 1300. Cool. Doesn't mean you're actually able to do it. If you're taking the MCATs in here, and you say, man, I'm going to get a really good score. I don't know what a good score is in the MCATs. 36? No? Okay. No med students? I thought we had a bunch of them. Okay, fine. Um, I could come up here and I could say, I could say, man, next, next week I'm going to preach in Mandarin and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and I could like mean it. I could have full intentioned heart. And that does not mean I am able to do it. See, intentionality does not mean ability. And yet, when it comes to marriages, this seems to be the only place where we think if we promise something, we'll actually be able to do it. If I promise you I'm going to be faithful to you, I will actually be able to do that. If I promise you I'm going to be faithful to you, that I'm going to be selfless to you, that I'm going to put your life before my life, I'm actually going to be able to do it. And it's just not true. Intentionality, folks, does not mean ability, which leads me to my second point about promises, and it's this. It's that prep, uh, sorry, a promise is no substitute for preparation. That a promise is no substitute for preparation. That marriages all across America, if you are thinking in here, man, someday I want to get married, please, please, please hear me on this. You are going to think that your promise is enough to sustain you in marriage. And what you need to understand is that it is no substitute for you preparing for that promise. And God is looking at a generation of people and he's saying, you are going to get up and you are going to say some pretty big vows someday. And he wants, to understand, he wants you to understand that he would like you to be ready. He is a gracious God. He is a good God. And he would like to prepare you to make you ready for the promise that you're going to give to somebody someday. See, God wants our words to match our lives. He wants our lives to absolutely line up with our words. He says this in Numbers 30. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to, uh, to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. He's saying this. God is saying this. He's saying when you say something to someone, when you say, yes, I'm going to do that, no, I will not do that, your life needs to actually align with what you say. When you say you're going to do something, you need to actually do it. You need to be a woman of your word. You need to be a man of your word. Your life needs to look like your words. That's what God is saying here. And just in case you're wondering if this is an Old Testament principle, Jesus says this in Matthew 5. He says, again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. God says, it's not about just what you say. It's about what you do. And he would like for your words to match your life. And because he knows us, church, he knows, he knows our fallibility. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows that we're humans. This is what he's saying to a group of young adults tonight. And he's saying this, would you be willing to prepare now so that you would be ready to perform your promise later? Would you be willing to prepare now so that you would be able to perform your pr uh, promise later? Because it is difficult and preparation is important for you to be able to do the things that you are going to tell someone you would like to do. He wants you to practice your promise tonight. He wants you to practice your promise. And there's a couple in the Bible, and I love preaching on this couple. 
You've heard me if you've been here long enough. Preach on them. And it's a, a woman named Ruth and a man named Boaz. They're found after the book of Judges in your Bibles. It's a very short book, uh, but it's just chocked full of wisdom. And God has given us this couple as a vision for a generation of how we are to be and how we are to act and how we are to practice our promise prior to making a vow. And there's a woman named Ruth. And in this uh, story, in, uh, you know, in the Bible, it talks about her being married to a man at a very young age. She was a Moabite woman. She married a Jewish man. And the Bible tells us that at some point they had married, been married for about 10 years and he passes away. And not only that, her mother-in-law uh, and her father-in-law passes away, so her mother-in-law is also a widow. And her sister-in-law's husband passes away as well. And so she has an entire family now that's just full of women and they're all widows. And she makes a vow, not to a husband, but to her mother-in-law, to a friend, to somebody that she owes nothing to. She makes a vow to this woman that I will go with you, I will stay with you, I will be faithful to you, I will stick by your side, I will be a true friend. And then she practices her promise towards this woman, Naomi. Meanwhile, there's this other man named Boaz, and he is a man of integrity. Uh, the Bible says he is a man of standing, meaning that everybody knew that he measured up to his words. He would say to his employees, I'm going to take care of you. He, at the city gates, uh, everybody knew that if Boaz said, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, he would actually do it. And spoiler alert, he ends up meeting Ruth. And when he meets her, he promises Ruth, um, if you stay in my field, and this is before he decides to pursue her. He says, if you stay in my field, I will take care of you. I will make sure that you have enough food to eat, and I will make sure that no harm comes to you, that my servants treat you right. And he makes good on his word. And then get this, they end up, he ends up pursuing her later for marriage. But first he goes to the man first in line that's supposed to marry Ruth. And he says, hey, uh, according to Jewish tradition and Jewish order, you are supposed to marry Ruth. Um, I was going to pursue her, but I want to make sure uh, because you're supposed to fulfill this promise to her. And so if you would like to or if you are able to, and the man says this, he says, I am not able to fulfill that promise to her. Ladies in here, you need to understand tonight that there are men that are going to speak promises. They're not able to, they're not able to fulfill that promise. And then Boaz says, I will fulfill that promise, and he makes good on his word. These are two people who are single, who are not getting into a marriage just yet, who have not been in pursuit of a marriage just yet, and they are practicing their promise and their vows long before they meet each other in marriage. And I think we can learn some things about them. Um, I think that we can take on some things and invest in our lives now. Prepare now so that we can perform our promise later. And the first thing is this, is that you are, um, if you are a young adult and you are in here and you are interested in being married someday, you need to practice healing. You need to practice healing. This is the most important thing I'm going to say tonight. That if you are in here and, and you're like, man, I would love to be a husband. I would love to be a wife. I would love to have a family someday. You need to practice healing. You need to, before you get married, you need to get whole. And it, uh, Ruth says this in the book of Ruth. Now, Elimelech, this is about her life and her story. Naomi's husband died. This is Ruth's mother-in-law. And she was left with her two sons, and they married uh, Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malin and Kilian died, and Naomi was left with her two sons and her husband, or without her two sons and her husband. So we read Ruth's story. She loses her father-in-law, 
her brother-in-law, and then her husband. And the Bible tells us this about Ruth's story. She got married when she was pretty young. In biblical times, they would get married at 15, 16. She was married for 10 years. 10 years. Meaning her and, her and this man, they, they celebrated birthdays together. <laughs> they bought a house together probably. Got a dog. They had memories upon memories upon memories. They, they celebrated one another and knew each other's idiosyncrasies, and then he dies. The wound of that. And yet when we meet Ruth in Scripture, she is a whole person. She is whole in heart. She is whole in emotion, whole in her mind, so capable and so able to take care of her mother-in-law and come to the table as a generous and gracious person, not with a bunch of wounds and a bunch of baggage. And if you are in here tonight, it is so easy, is it not, to become wounded? I mean, I, I think of a very simple wound that I had just a couple of years ago. It was a 2014 Super Bowl. <laughs> It was the Broncos versus the Seahawks. And you can make fun if you want, but it was a real wound. And I'm watching the game, and John and I are so excited. I mean, the Broncos that year, like, actually stood a chance, and Peyton Manning was at the helm, and, like, we had the best offense in all of the league, and we were so excited, and I had my, you know, shirt that said, Omaha, right? And I was, like, so pumped. And we get the snacks, and all of our friends are over, and we're like, woo! Like, in our minds, I mean, it was, like, 5-1 to one in Vegas that the Broncos were going to take it. In our mind, it was, like, in the bag. That's how I felt. I just was like, I can't wait to celebrate. I'm so excited. It's the promise of God is coming down. Like, I just felt like, <laughs> right? And then the first snap happened, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, you know. And then for three hours, like, my heart just got wounded. I mean, it was so bad. And I kid you not, John and I drove home that night, and I, we, the car was silent. Like, it was just like, oh, it sucks. You know? We lost so bad. And the next season, it was the 2015 season, and you're supposed to get into football. And I told John, this is a true story. I was like, babe, I just don't think I can get into it this year. I feel, <laughs> feel hurt. I feel wounded. And it was real for me. Like, I didn't even want to play fantasy. I was, like, over it, right? And it was too, it was like dudes in spandex, like, wrestling each other to the ground for a football. Like, like that was my wound. Like, this woman had something that was so much bigger than that. And listen, she was able to deal with her healing. It took me like a year to get over that Super Bowl. <laughs> I wonder tonight if, if there are people in here and you have been wounded in some way. You've been hurt by someone. Maybe for you it is a parent. Maybe for you it is a past relationship. But listen to me, 20-something. It is pertinent that you heal from that wound, whether it is your childhood offense or whether it is a past relationship prior to you getting into the relationship that you are going to make a vow on. It is pertinent. There are some counselors who do relationship, uh, you know, mentoring and advice, and they said this. They said, if you attempt to build intimacy with a person before you've done the hard work of becoming a whole and healthy person, every relationship will be an attempt to fill the hole in your heart. Meaning this, if you do not heal prior to getting into a relationship, you will either treat that person as your garbage can or as your God. You will either treat the person, you will take out everything. Maybe your dad was never around. Maybe he showed up late to everything that you ever did, every game you ever had. And so you are going to be out with your spouse who knows nothing about this. 
knows nothing about your stuff with your dad. And they show up like five minutes late, right? And you're like, so you don't love me anymore? And they're like, whoa, did, like, do you need dessert first? Like, <laughs> and you use them to take out your garbage. Maybe you were rejected by your mom, maybe you were rejected by your dad, and you will take that garbage out on your significant other. Maybe you were cheated on by someone. If you do not heal from that wound, you will take that out on your significant other. Maybe you were abused, maybe you were hurt, maybe, you, maybe it's just minor wounds over time. Listen, you will take those childhood wounds and you will take the trash out on someone who does not deserve it. Or worse than that, worse than that, you will actually think that your significant other is the answer to the unresolved wound in your heart. In other words, you will make them your God. And maybe your dad never showed you that you were worthy of anything and so you look to a man or to a woman and you're like, can you show me that I'm worth something? You felt, you felt like, you know, maybe, maybe you were cheated on or you were hurt by a previous relationship and so you look to the person and you're like, you're never going to do me wrong in any way, right? Right? Or maybe, I don't know, like maybe something that happened to you, you were hurt and so you look to that person and you're like, you can fix this, right? The Bible makes it very clear. We put our significant others in the place of healer in our lives. And the Bible makes it so clear that only Jesus can play the role of healer in our lives. The Bible calls him the great physician. And do you know what he says about your hurt, your hurt and your wound? He says, I didn't come for the people who are fine. I didn't come for those people. I came for the people who are hurt. I came for the sick. That's who I came for. And so if that's you in here tonight, you just need to understand that God is your redeemer and your healer, and he's the only one that's able to do it. And so maybe tonight you need to begin crying out to him. You need to begin going to counseling. If you're in here and you know, you're like, man, it is time. I need to pony up and get some money out and go get counseling. You need to practice healing so you don't make your spouse your garbage can or your God. Jeremiah cries out, and he says this in Jeremiah 17. He says, he says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. Yours is the name that I praise. And maybe tonight, that's just it. This is the one thing you came here for. You need to practice healing before you ever think about her or about him. Practice healing. Cry out to God, heal me, God, and I will be healed. Number two, we need to practice stewardship. Practice stewardship. It says this in Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Lemelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay, so Boaz was a man of standing, meaning he was a man of his word. Everybody knew it. Like I said earlier, everybody knew that he would measure up to everything that he said. He oversaw a business, and for those of you who oversee employees, you know the stress of that. You know how difficult that is, and to measure up to your words is difficult, and yet he seemed to do it because everybody respected him and everybody honored him. And stewardship is this word um, that's kind of, it's kind of an old school word, and so I wanted to uh, give a definition. It says this, stewardship is the activity of protecting, managing, and being responsible for something. Stewardship comes from the word steward, and it's an old-school English word, and a steward was a person who was put in charge of the master's house. And so the master would leave, and he would say, you are my steward, sir, and you'd be like, sweet. And you take care of everything for that dude. And if you are here and you are a Christian, 
What we believe is that we, what we are given while we are here on earth is for us to steward. That job that you were given, it's not your job. It's God's job. He gave it to you to steward. That income that you have is not your income. It's his. He gave it to you to steward. And so God is saying, would you practice stewardship before you met him, before you met her? And I think there are three basic ways that we can steward tonight, three basic ones. Like I said, this is super practical. First one is this, is you steward your job. You steward your job. Like I said, your job is not something uh, that you, you got on your own. I know that's hard to believe. It was given to you. And God wants to see, like, what you're going to do with it. Are you going to steward it right or are you going to steward it wrong? And listen, if you are looking for a spouse, you should be looking for how they steward their job. You should be uh, paying attention. Are they respectful towards their boss? Are they, uh, do they clock in on time? Do they work hard? Do they complain about their job all of the time? Listen, if they are unable to steward their job where they simply clock in and clock out, they are not going to be able to steward your heart. If they don't have the ability to come under submission, under authority, they are not going to be able to submit to you. And so it's very simple. Just be looking around and just be like, yo, do you have a job? Okay, cool. <laughs> do you like your job? You like your job. Cool. You're good at your job. Awesome. How are you doing at stewarding your job? Number two, steward your money. Steward your money. Out of all of the things that um, they say is a factor or a contributing factor to people getting divorced, the number one thing is what? Money. Finances. And it's because we just, man, we're just humans. We are. And I'm, I'm not great at money, and so I actually kind of feel terrible, like, talking about this. My husband's awesome. And I'm the one that's like, can I have any? <laughs> no? It's fine. <laughs> Practice stewarding your money prior to getting into a relationship. And what this looks like is very simple. It just means I'm um, stewarding your debt. If you have debt in here, you are going to want to take care of that before you get married. You do not want to be the reason. You do not want to be honestly like um, kind of like a punching bag because you have debt. And every time you get in a fight, like your spouse is going to be like, yeah, well, you got five grand in credit card debt, right? Like you don't want to be that person. And so get out of debt now. You don't want to be, uh, you want to be able to be tithing and to be generous. Practice stewarding that now. If you know how to budget, great. If you don't know how to budget, learn how to budget now. Steward your money now because then later on, you guys will be able to steward together with your money. And those types of couples, man, they can do some damage for the kingdom. And the last thing is steward yourself, steward your spirit. Steward your spirit. Proverbs 25 says this, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. The Bible says that when we are unable to manage ourselves, when we are unable to steward ourselves, our being, our spirit, our intellect, our mind, our bodies, when you, when you don't rule over yourself or you don't manage yourself, the Bible says that you are like a city with broken down walls, meaning that anything can come in and anything can conquer you. Any circumstance, any problem, any issue. Boom, conquered. Because you don't know how to rule yourself. And some of you walked in here tonight and there's no judgment, no condemnation at all. I'm with you. But you have behavioral issues. You have problems. Patterns that just keep popping up and popping up and popping up. You need to manage that prior to getting into a relationship. You have, listen, there are no marriage issues. Do you know that? There's no marriage problems. It's not a real thing. 
know what a marriage problem is? It's like, do you put the forks in or do you put the forks down in, in the dishwasher? And he's like, forks down. And you're like, forks up, forks down. Like, that's a marriage problem. Do you squeeze from the middle of the tube of toothpaste or from the bottom? Middle, just fine. <laughs> that's a marriage problem. Every other problem you will encounter in marriage is an individual's problem or another individual's problem that you bring into a marriage. There is no such thing as a marriage problem. Hear that tonight. Your problem in the future is not going to be your spouse. It's going to be you or it's going to be them and their individual inability to rule over and to steward their spirit. I was talking with a guy, awesome man of God, a few weeks ago here at YA. And he was like, Jesse, I want to know, how do I know that I'm going to be ready for marriage? And I said, um, well, tell me a little bit about your story. And he was like, well, I was in a really long relationship. It was about two years. And um, we broke up a few months back. And, and I said, oh, wow. And I said, well, are you healed from that yet? And he said, oh, no. And I go, okay, well, you want to get healed first. You know, go to counseling. You want to get help. Like, you want to pray. Whatever it takes for that heart to get whole. I said, do you have a job that you would be able to protect and to take care of your wife? He said, no. I said, okay. Then you need to get a job that will provide for a family and a wife. And when you have that, you've got number two. I said, do you feel in your spirit like you're ready to be a husband? And he said, no. And I said, that's okay. That's okay. Like you're 22 years old. That's all right. But you need to wait for those three things. And then when you have all of those things, look around. And I guarantee you, at least here at YA, you can have the pick of the litter. <laughs> Girls will be like, oh, my gosh. All of them. Praise God. <laughs> steward your spirit. Steward your money. Steward your job. Practice submission. Practice submission. Ephesians 5.21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, submission is not a popular phrase in America in 2017. It's like, I don't submit to nobody, no way, no how, right? And ain't nobody my ruler, ain't nobody my boss. And so um, this is not a popular phrase. But submission simply means this. For those of you who are afraid of it, it means honoring someone before yourself. Putting their needs before your needs. Putting their wants and their rights before your rights. And this is easy to do. It's actually not that hard. It is actually possible for you to honor the President of the United States even if you don't agree with him. It's possible. It's possible for you to honor your boss even if you think you're smarter than him. It's possible. And just side note, ladies and men in here, if, if you are dating someone and they have an authority problem, you run. You do not walk away. Honoring someone before yourself. This means practicing honoring family members, practicing honoring your parents, practicing honoring police officers, your friends, your bosses. Ruth honored people in her life long before she met Boaz. Long before she met Boaz, she was honoring uh, Naomi. It says this, um, and this is Ruth speaking to Naomi. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She is making a vow 
to Naomi. And she's saying, where you go, I will be so faithful to you. I will be a good friend to you. I will stick by your side. And she made good on her word. Now, ladies in here, I just want to speak to you really simply and really quickly about this thing called submission. The Bible makes it very clear that the, uh, just as Christ is the head of the church, the man is the head of the home. He is the head of his wife. And for a whole bunch of you in here, that might sound terrifying, but listen to me. It's just not. It's wonderful. And it's not an equality thing. It's not like he's better than you. It's an order thing. I do not think John is a higher human being than me. I do not think that he is a better human being than me. I think that he goes first in our home. And I follow his lead. And over the years, I've heard lots of people talk about this, and I've heard lots of different debate about it. And listen to me, I could not do what I do. I could not get up here and preach the way that I preach. I could not do it with confidence, with vigor, and with safety without the type of man that I have covering my home. And the Bible says this. It says that we would submit and that we would submit to them as unto the Lord. That means that your husband does not need to be perfect. You submit to him as unto God, meaning you can trust God to work on him because he is responsible to God to be the head of you. In the Bible, uh, I, I remember years ago hearing about this word encourage in the Bible and that women are to encourage men. And I love this because someone said that that word en is a Greek word. It means to pour. And so when it says encourage, you are pouring encourage. And women in here, I think our jobs as wives is to pour encourage to our men. And men in here, your job is a little bit more difficult, and I don't want to make it hard on you. But the Bible says very simply that you are to pour out your life. And you are to go first. Ephesians 5 says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men in here, I want to encourage you. That this is so hard. But that I believe that there is a group of men in this room watching online and you are so ready to do this. And can I just say prophetically, this is what our world needs. That as your sister, I believe in you. That as your sister, I think it's possible for you to lay down your life, for you to lay down your rights, for you to lay down your wants first, for you to lead your home, for you to be strong. And listen, if a woman is not willing to follow you when you feel like you have your home in order and yourself in order and your spirit in order, that's okay. Just wait for the woman who does. Band, you guys can come back up here. Last thing is this. Practice receiving God's promise. Practice receiving God's promise. So in a relationship, the man is the pursuer and the woman is the responder. And so all the time, like, all, you know, like girls will reach out to me and they'll be like, do you think I can Facebook him? you think I can text him? And I'm like, no, you know, no. You know, you need to wait. You need to, like, put out a vibe, right? Like, put out a vibe, be like, hey, but, like, wait, you know? And, like, fellas, your job is to, like, get up and, you know, and, like, it's here at YA and you're like, okay, here I go. And you're like, hi. <laughs> um, I'm Tim. You, do you want to go out for coffee? You know, like, whatever it takes, you know, it's a start. And so the man is the pursuer and the woman is the responder. And the Bible makes it super clear. <laughs> 
that in our relationship with God, and we say all the time, God, I love you. God, I seek after you. God, I'm pursuing you. Okay, that in our relationship that God is the pursuer of his church and that we are the responders, that he comes after us and that we get to respond. And have you ever seen a guy pursuing a girl and she just like doesn't receive well from him? Like he'll be like, you are so beautiful. And she'll be like, you think so? Right, and he's like, oh, uh, you know, and he'll be like, man, I would love to, and he's like gracious and kind, he's like, I'd love to take you out sometime, and I love the way you carry yourself and how you love God, and she's like, I don't know if I believe you. You ever seen a poor receiver? You ever seen that? Sometimes I think that the church is a poor receiver of God's pursuit of them. And in Hosea, God says this, he says, behold, I allure her. I will speak to her as in her youth and I will draw her into the wilderness. I will pursue her. And then it says this, and then she will receive and she will respond. She will receive and she will respond. Do you know that men and women, humans, we make vows and we do not measure up, and we try, and we, I mean, we're gonna, we are going to practice our promise so that to the best of our ability in the future, we are better men and better women for our spouses and for our marriages. But do you know that in scripture, that God, our God, he made a vow to you. He made a vow to you. It says this in Hosea 2. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness, in justice, in love, and in compassion. And listen to me, God is not man that he should lie. He is nothing like us. When God makes a promise, he makes good on his word every single time. Jesus saying this here, he's saying, I am able to do my vow. I am completely capable of fulfilling my vow. Later on in scripture, the Bible says that every promise of God, every promise that he has ever made in your life is yes and amen in Jesus. That God never wastes a promise and he always gets what he wants. That's what the Bible says. And I don't know about you, but this week I was reading the word and I realized that in Genesis 1:27, the Bible begins right here. It begins right here with marriage. And then it ends right here with marriage in Revelations 21. And the rest of this it got, is God saying, I pursue you and I find you and I make you mine. I pursue you and I find you and I make you mine. And some of you tonight, listen, you don't need to get healed tonight. You don't need to, man, you don't need to like practice anything or try to like get yourself together. You just need to receive from God. That's it. He's like, I'm coming after you. I love you. I want to make you my own. And I make good on my promise. Would you guys stand? With every head bowed in here, I just want to ask you one question, and it's this. Actually, I'm going to ask two questions. Maybe you're in here and you're like, man, God, I would just love you to help me.
Help me to be the kind of man, the kind of woman that you would want me to be. Help me to practice the vows, practice the promises that you have for me, God. Help me to heal, help me to be righteous, help me to be submissive and generous and honoring towards the people in my life. If you're in here and you just want to raise your hand as kind of an act, and when we raise our hand, we act, it's an act of surrender, it's an act of, it's an act of just saying, God, I surrender to you and I give you permission to work in my life. If that's you in here, would you just raise your hand nice and high and say, God, just help me to fulfill my promise. God, help me to be a promise keeper. Amen. And if you're in here tonight, and this is the second question, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and as I've been talking about a God that pursues you and finds you and betrothes you and saves you, it's kind of a foreign concept, but something inside of you is just lighting up. I would love to give you the opportunity of meeting him tonight. And so if you are in here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that Jesus lived a sinful life, that he is fully man and fully God, that he shed his identity so that he could come down he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he came down taking on the form of a bondservant, subjecting himself even to the point of death on the cross. And by his death on the cross, he paid for every single sin that you have ever done or ever will do. And by rising again, he gave you a new life in him and through him. And if that's you in here and you would like to receive Jesus for the very first time, would you just, as an act of surrender, raise your hand nice and high, nice and high tonight. Amen, amen, amen. Let me pray. God, we thank you for every single person in here. God, I pray that the people that would like to keep their promises, God, that you would help us. God, I pray that we would feel your sweet surrender tonight. God, I pray that for the people that would uh, want to receive you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that they would just pray this prayer with me, that God, that thank you for coming and dying for our sins. God, we receive you as our Savior and as our Lord. God, we pray that, um, that, uh, that we would live a life that is worthy of our calling. And God, we just thank you for everything you are doing in us and through us, Jesus. We pray this in your name.